Okay, <laughs> there we go. Uh, so for those of y'all who don't know me, my name is Bill Merritt. I'm one of the uh, small group leaders here at our church. Um, from time to time, you'll see me back there running sound as well. Um, when Jonathan asked me to, to preach this morning, I was really excited because we've been going through the book of Romans, and Romans is by far my favorite book of the Bible. Uh, Paul does such a phenomenal job of, of giving us so much theology and doctrine. Um, and, you know, one of the things that uh, I really like about Paul, how he wrote this book, is that he kind of sets this um, the book up kind of almost like a, a lawyer would, you know, present a case. So he pr- starts us off um, kind of showing us our depravity and showing us how we need to live for God. And, um, you know, if anyone knows me, you know that I like a good debate. Um, my wife would probably say it's, I like a good argument. But, um, you know, uh, anyway, it's, it's, I, I just really do like this book, and I think there's going to be some good things that we'll be able to see today. Um, so what I hope to be able to cover is uh, and answer a couple of questions is how do we know that we're saved and what's some evidence um, of our salvation? But before I dive into the scriptures that we've got today, I want to do a quick recap of where we've been uh, so far in Romans. I know we've done this several times um, from the stage here, kind of going back and forth and seeing what what Paul has already covered. But today it's really important to be able to understand where Paul has kind of set us up for because today it's kind of this crescendo of of what Paul is looking uh, to achieve. So we saw in chapter 1, verse 5, that the purpose of this book is to bring about obedience of the faith. And then in chapters 1 through 3, he really maps out kind of the extent of our depravity, how, how we're trapped in sin and that we can't get away from our sinful nature. And then in chapter 3, verses 11 and 12, we see that no one is righteous and no one does good. And then in verse 23, we saw that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So this sin keeps us apart from God. That's you know, really the... the, the the emphasis of what Paul is putting at uh, or getting at there in Romans uh, 1 through 3. And then end of chapter 3 through chapter 6, we see that we are rescued from our sin and our depravity. We are justified by grace through Jesus Christ. Our salvation is by faith alone. We saw Abraham's uh, faith was counted as righteousness. Even though we are sinners, Christ died for us, thus saving us from God's wrath. In chapter 6, Paul transitions and talks about our old self and how we've died to sin. And today we'll see what the new self looks like. Uh, We are now slaves to righteousness and obedient from the heart. We're no longer slaves to our flesh. And as such, we have the fruit of the Spirit that is evidence of God working in us to lead us to sanctification. And then chapter 7 that we talked about last week, he focuses on the law and and he spends quite a bit of time talking about the law uh, in the earlier chapters, and kind of pointing to the law that, you know, the law points out our sin, and that without the law, we wouldn't know what our sin is. But, uh, and he also says that, you know, the people have become slaves to the law. So our sin focuses us, and I had a hard time saying this in practice too, <laughs> the sin focuses us on the law versus um, the lawgiver. And then last week in your small groups, Uh, Hopefully you talked about walking according to the Spirit. At the end of chapter 7, in verse 25, Paul says, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but my flesh, I serve the law of sin. So we have this battle between our fleshly desires and our mind set on God. In chapter 8, we start off with some really good news. There is therefore now no condemnation 
for those who are in Christ Jesus. No matter what you've done, there's no condemnation. We talked about this a little bit in our small group too, kind of this, this difference between conviction and, and condemnation. And so the Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin, uh, but a lot, a lot of times we look at our sin and we're like, man, I, I, you know, whatever I did last week, whatever I did yesterday, I, I'm not worthy of God. So we're condemning our own selves. And, and, and what we discussed in our small group was that that's almost you know, like pride. We're basically t- putting pride in saying, hey, I'm not worthy of God. But God has told us here, you know, we see what Paul said at, in, in verse 1 of chapter 8, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The Spirit has given us life, and we've been set free in Jesus. We now celebrate our new lives. We are no longer bound by sin. So today, you know, we're going to discuss some of the practical effects of the Holy Spirit and some of the power that the Spirit gives us. So before I get into the message, uh, let me pray. Generally, Father, we just thank you, Lord, for being able to bring us here today in your house of worship to be able to give you glory and honor and praise. And Lord, as we go through um, these verses here in Romans, I just ask that your Holy Spirit uh, just move in the hearts and lives of each one of these here. Lord, I just ask that lives will be changed and that you'll open up people's eyes to be able to see the glory of God and ask, Lord, that you move in their hearts and their minds to be able to draw them closer to you. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we're going to be in Romans 8, uh, 5 through 11. And I'll just read through these verses real quick. But I'm going to start, in, uh, and I know this one won't be on the screen for verse 3. But I'm going to start back in verse 3 because it really kind of sets up where we're going today. So uh, Romans 8, 3. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. So back in uh, verse 4, Paul introduced this concept of walking according to the flesh and the spirit. And so we need to ask ourselves, are we walking in the flesh or are we walking in the spirit? So Paul is going through, as you saw here, he's going to compare and contrast what these two, um, I guess, lifestyles look like, you know, spirit or the flesh. And then here in verse 5, it says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. So that four right there, the beginning of the verse five, is really Paul setting up the stage for what he's explaining about what the spirit of the law or spirit of the flesh 
in the uh, spirit or life in the spirit look like? So we can probably ask ourselves, like, you know, what are what does living according to the flesh look like? Uh, we can probably come up with a whole list of of sins or actions that uh, life according to the flesh probably represents. And if you think about those for a moment, you know, I got to thinking about this too, and it's like. Well, what do we normally do? We normally think of sins that others do. Or we point out the sins in others. It's so much easier to do that. But when we sit and think about, like, do we really point out sins that are in our own lives? So when we talk about living according to the flesh, let's see what um, Paul says that looks like. And we're going to flip over to Galatians. And this is chapter 5, verses 19 and 20, or 19 through 21. It says, now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before, for those, that, uh, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So perhaps you're thinking to yourself, well, well, Bill, you know, I, I, don't, I don't participate in sorcery or drunkenness, so I must be living according to the, to the Spirit, right? We'll get to that. Let's jump back to Romans 5, or Romans 8, verse 5. So it says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. So I want to point out this word set. The root word there is phreneo. And what it means is to, it signifies the whole action of the mind, not merely our thinking power or our reasoning, but the purpose of the mind. It is our default setting. So without Christ, our default setting is, is set looking at things of the flesh. It also means to ponder or to dwell or to adopt an attitude to act, a deliberate mindset. So there's this, there's this component of what you know, our natural mindset is, and then there's also this function or an action that we also have to take to set our mind on things. So the purpose of the law, remember I said, was really to point out that sin exists in our lives and that we need someone to, or we need a savior to be able to uh, rescue us from that sin. We have this deliberate and intentional mindset that's controlled by the flesh it is the purpose of the mind. We enjoy our sin. In the second half of uh, Romans 8.5, but it says, But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. So how do we know if we're living according to the Spirit? Well, let's go back to Galatians again and see the second half of what Paul was saying there in Galatians 5. This is uh, verses 22 through 23 and 25. It says, but the, spirit, or but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. In verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. So again, perhaps you're thinking to yourself, well, Look, I'm, I'm kind, I'm patient, I'm gentle, so I must be living according to the Spirit, right? We'll get to that also. Remember that this fruit of the Spirit 
is given to all believers. So, that, you know, this is different from uh, the gifts of the Spirit. So when you have, when you've accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, the fruit of the Spirit is what is evidence that the Spirit is living in you. But can I also be patient and kind and not be a Christian? Of, of course you can. But we have to be careful that we don't equate the fruit of the Spirit or what we think is the fruit of the Spirit to, to our salvation. These are two separate things. Without Jesus, we can be kind and we can be patient, but we're, our mindset is set on the flesh, and so we're doing those things for our own edification, not for Jesus. And so these things, even though you're, you think you might be presenting the fruit of the Spirit, Jesus says that without him, even these things are bad. So without the Spirit in our lives, we are trapped in our depravity. When the Spirit gives us life, or when the Spirit sets us free from the bondage of sin, we now have the ability to set our mind on the things of, of the Spirit. I want to say that again. So before we accepted Jesus, we are so trapped in our depravity. We're so trapped in, in wanting to live for ourselves. But when we accept Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes into our lives and allows us now to be able to put our mind on Jesus. Without Jesus and his spirit, we are powerless to overcome our sinful condition. Sending our mind allows us to live according to the spirit. I want to flip over to um, Ephesians 4. Because Paul, Paul talked about this earlier, about kind of this setting our mind on things, but also putting off our old self. And so uh, in Ephesians 4, uh, 22 through 24, basically we are called to put off our old self which belongs to our former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of our minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So again, we've got this other action. We set our minds and now we, we put off the old self and put on the new self. The spirit renews our minds. So Remember, the setting that I talked about before is, means to ponder or to dwell or to make the purpose of our mind to be the things of the Spirit. When we, we begin to see things differently, we begin to think things differently. There's a renewal or transformation of our minds. I don't think this verse is up there, but I want to read uh, Romans 12, 2. Romans 12, 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So this Christian life as we go through, you know, we've got this, again, the sinful flesh. This body will die, right? And we've got to put on this new life and the spirit gives us power to overcome those sinful desires, gives us power to overcome our ignorance, our preferences and our prejudices. Our will is being aligned to his will. Our wishes are aligned with what God wants. The Spirit allows us to also become imitators of God, as we see in Ephesians 5.1. This process of sanctification continues through our entire life. So what are the consequences uh, of our different types of mindsets? So let's look back at Romans 8.6. It says, For to set the mind on the flesh... Is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. 
So when we set our mind on the things of the flesh, we've got both spiritual and physical consequences. The spiritual consequence, obviously, is sin separates us from God. But we also have physical consequences to our sin. Broken relationships, broken marriages. Um, you know, just, sin just always has you know, this, this negative outcome. But the common theme throughout this book in Romans is that sin leads to death. When you look at the list of the fleshly things that we've read about uh, over in Galatians, sexual immorality, idolatry, strife, fits of anger, divisions, and drunkenness. These are the things that are opposite of the fruit of the Spirit. Joy, peace, patience, gentleness, and self-control. The second half of verse 6 says that setting our mind on the Spirit is peace and life. It is life and peace. So if, if your mind is set on thinking about the things that, you know, what is God's will for my life? Am I thinking about things that bring God glory? Am I thinking about things that are righteous to God? And am I relying wholly on God? If you are, if that's, if that's your mindset, then you probably have a mindset set on the things of God. But if your world is currently upside down, you have a chance for life and peace here today by setting your mind on the things of the Spirit. Romans 8, uh, 7 and 8. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Guys, I really want y'all to get this. You know, without Jesus, we are stuck in our sin. We can't escape it. We cannot set our mind on the things of the Spirit, and your mind is stuck on the things of the flesh. You absolutely love your sin. This verse says that you are hostile to God and do not submit to God's law. Paul goes even further and says that, that he emphasizes that without the Spirit living in your heart, you cannot submit to God. It takes God regenerating your heart of stone and giving you new life to be able to set your mind on the things of the Spirit and allow you to submit to Him. Without Jesus, we'd be dead in our sin and blind to the things of God and content with our sin. In verse 8, it says, those who, uh, who are in the flesh, that's unbelievers, cannot please God. No matter how good you do, no matter what things that you do that are good, you cannot please God unless you put your faith in Jesus. Um, I want to take a moment just to kind of give you a little bit of my personal testimony, and I've kind of used this illustration in my small group a couple of times. Um, when I was a, a, a kid, we didn't, we didn't go to church um, you know, I think the only time that I went to church was whenever I had to go stay with my grandparent. So I stayed with my grandmothers, and they would take me to church, and we'd do the whole Sunday school thing. That was kind of what you did when you were a little kid. But then I remember um, some point in middle school, and, and I've always been kind of this academic type, um, kind of nerdy. And um, I, I remember in middle school, my mom started going to church, and so she invited me to church one day, and, or had been inviting me to church, and I don't remember what it was. We got into some big heated argument. And um, I just remember just lashing out at her in my anger. And I was like, you know, y'all Christians are a bunch of brainwashed people. You know, science explains everything. Evolution's true. I mean, like, I, I was just completely against God. And then uh, sometime probably late middle school, early high school, um, God started working on my heart. And again, she invites me to church. And, but this time she tricks me. She's like, hey, uh, you want to go to church because there's a bunch of girls there. And um, 
so of course that worked. And uh, so, you know, I went to church and um, that was kind of the only reason I was going. Um, but, you know, God really, you know, he put a uh, youth pastor uh, kind of in my path there and, and really started working on my heart. And, and I just remember one day, you know, they had like an altar call and I went down and gave my life to the Lord. And I tell people like, you know, it wasn't something that somebody had said. Um, it was really this, this transformation that God had drawn me to him. And, you know, I always say I was once blind and now I see. Um, God opens up the Spirit, and this kind of the power of the Holy Spirit. He opens up our minds and our eyes to be able to see the things of God. So starting in verse 9, Paul transitions um, a little bit to where he's encouraging believers. It says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. So what does this mean? If you're a Christian, you're no longer living in the flesh. You have been delivered from your depravity and are now able to please God. Does this mean that you no longer sin? Absolutely not. But now you live for God. Remember Paul's struggle back in, um, in, in chapter 7 that we saw last week. Uh, let's see, this is Romans 7.20. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. Uh, this was, we actually talked about this in our small group a little bit last week, too, is that it, it kind of seems like Paul's kind of given himself like an excuse to sin. Um, and I think one of the individuals in our group said, oh, it's like the devil made me do it. You know, so it's kind of given that excuse that um, you know, Paul's just saying, oh, the devil made me do it. I can, I can sin. But that's not what Paul is saying at all. He's, he's really pointing out that there's this, there's this continual battle in this life between our fleshly bodies and what, our, what we want to do and when we're setting our minds on things of God. So we will continue to sin, but we're going to be convicted of that sin. Um, the Spirit of God dwells in us to help deliver us from that sin. Paul also does something pretty interesting here um, in that verse. He says, uh, he mentions the word Spirit, Spirit of God, and Spirit of Christ, all three there. So he's pointing to the Trinity and showing the equality of, of Jesus and God. Um, the last half of this verse basically says, look, if, if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're not a Christian. Now, I do want to point out, like, you've, salvation comes from faith. So we saw you know, Abraham's faith was counted as righteousness, but when we, when we put our faith in Christ, we have the Holy Spirit immediately. It's not sometime later, and this is, you know, it's like, I remember growing up in a uh, Pentecostal church, and it was like, oh, well, you got saved, and then you had the Spirit later. Um, but that's not what the Scriptures tell us. The Scriptures say that once we have accepted Jesus as our Lord and Savior, the Spirit of God lives within us. It's not some point later in time. Let's look at Romans 8, 10, and 11. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. As a Christian, the spirit of Christ dwells in us. The, this body is dead because of sin, but the spirit gives us life and continually draws us closer to God. 
This Christian life is not a matter of, of self-improvement. It's not about doing more and more good than, than bad. If that's your approach, you're going about this, this all wrong. You are to have fellowship with the Spirit and to set your minds on the things of the Spirit. If you've strayed away from God, it's not a matter of, oh, let me work my way back to God. It's surrender to God. There's, again, there's nothing that you can do to put you in God's right graces. It's a matter of surrendering to him. He wants every bit of you, not just bits and pieces, all of you. He's a jealous God. He wants all of you. A few weeks ago, John, um, Jonathan referenced uh, John 15, uh, 4 through 11, which is the vine and branches um, story. And, and here Jesus tells us that we are to abide, and abide meaning to continue in a daily personal relationship with Jesus, characterized by trust, prayer, obedience, and joy. Doing so allows us to bear fruit. This is evidence of our relationship with Christ. Apart from him, we can do nothing, is what he says. But if you abide in Jesus, your will will align with his will. We've been talking about the law quite a bit and that it doesn't save, but abiding in his spirit makes us obey the law. So obedience comes by putting our trust in Jesus. One of the things that's really cool about um, uh, Paul as an author is that you know, he wrote so many books here in the New Testament. And uh, if he mentions something in one book and he doesn't really go into real detail about it, uh, he probably explains it uh, in detail uh, and else, elsewhere. So uh, I want to talk a little bit about this putting on of the new self that we find over in Colossians 3. And this is rather lengthy, so just bear with me as I read through this. So if you then have been, uh, oh, I'm sorry. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also appear with him in glory. To put, or put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and but no, in perfect harmony, and let the peace of God, or peace of Christ, rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Let the Lord of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. 
And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. It does a really great job of explaining what the new self looks like. And, and I hope the thing that you see out of this is that we cannot be the same before Jesus, after Jesus. We cannot be the same after Jesus. We have put on this new self, and we have put away our old ways. We have a new way of thinking and evaluating things. I remember um, my, my daughter coming home from school one day, and she had been complaining about some, um, I guess, some things that people had said at school that made her upset and angry, and she was you know, really frustrated. And, and I remember sitting down and, and, and talking to her and saying, you know, well, you're allowing these kids to control how you think. And, and this is the same thing with us as, as Christians. We've got to make sure that when you know, we're, we're confronted with sin or we're confronted with things that are going to point us towards sin, that we put on this mindset and be able to really focus and say, how am I going to react in this situation? Am I going to react in anger? Am I going to react being upset? Or am I going to react in love or peace or patience? You see, we have the ultimate victory in Christ. You're going to have your ups and downs um, in your Christian walk. We all struggle. Uh, look at verse 11 back in Romans. It says, If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the spirit that dwells in you. That same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you as a Christian. That same spirit. In 1 Corinthians uh, 3, 16 and 17, it says, do you now know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Guys, you are the living, you're the temple of the living God. That should make us so excited. Um, the spirit gives us life. And despite our struggles as Christians, we're going to have the ultimate victory. So in closing, I want to ask a few questions uh, here today and First is, have you accepted Jesus as Lord? Is God calling you today to surrender to him? You know, salvation is a free gift that doesn't require you to get cleaned up first. Again, it's surrender to him. Are you displaying the fruit of the Spirit in your life? Remember, this is the evidence of Christ in you. For the Christians here today, have you set your mind on the things of God? Or are you still clinging to the desires of the flesh? One of my favorite um, preachers is John Piper, and, and he, he basically says it this way, do you hate your sin? So whenever people ask me, like, you know, hey, how do I know if I'm a Christian or not? Well, one, you know, we, we already talked about displaying the fruit of the Spirit. So if the Spirit's in you, those things are going to be produced out of you naturally. But then the other side of that is, do I hate my sin? So if I, co if I commit sin... Do I repent of that? Am I convicted of it? Or do I rationalize it and justify it? You know, a lot of times we'll sit there and say, well, my sin's not as bad as that person's sin. Or I didn't, I didn't do what they did. Oh, this was just a little, little lie. We need to be able to focus our minds on the things of God and what brings him glory. And the Holy Spirit gives us that power to do that. Last week we sang a song uh, called Hosanna. And in that song, there's a line that says, break my heart, Lord, for what breaks yours. Sin breaks God's heart, and it should break yours as well. So have you surrendered your all to Jesus? 
And are you abiding in him? Remember, surrender comes first, then obedience. It's not the other way around. It's not, oh, I've got to do the right things. That's what the Pharisees were doing. That's what Paul's basically you know, pointed out to them. Like, guys, you're slaves to the law. You need to be focused on the spirit and surrender to him. And he will make you obedient to God. Accepting Jesus isn't some magic pill that'll make all your struggles go away. We see later um, in verse 17 that we will suffer. The good news is, is that Jesus gives us life, peace, and joy. And in this life, because of the hope we have in him, we can celebrate Jesus.